0: Holy Spirit, we ask that you'd lead us into all truth this morning, and that you'd reveal Jesus to us. Amen. Uh, We are called as followers of Jesus to serve. Uh, Philippians says that we should have the attitude of Christ. That we should not only do what Jesus did, but we should have the same motivation. We should have the same attitude as Christ. And Christ didn't come to be served, but Christ came to serve. And so during the month of February, we've been talking about following Jesus into service. And our desire to know how we can better serve and use our time and our treasure and our talent, um, has led us as a church into a conversation about gifts. And in particular, it's led us into a conversation about the miraculous gifts listed in 1 Corinthians 12. The gifts of the Spirit, or the revelatory gifts. Um, The Bible says that the gifts have been given by the Trinity for uh, what Paul says is the common good or to build up and edify the church. So one of the ways that we can serve here at Radiant Church is by operating in the gifts that God's given us. And as I as I talked about last week, this is actually part two of the sermon that I intended to preach last week and um, got a little carried away telling some stories. Um, so I want to fill you in. I want to talk to you about why we believe that the gifts of continue today and are to mark the life of the church today. Obviously, this is a hotly debated issue. There are some Christians that believe that these gifts are no longer in existence, and there are some that believe that they are. There are three different camps, and this is an oversimplification, um, but there are basically three different camps today concerning the miraculous gifts or the revelatory gifts talked about Right there in 1 Corinthians 12. There are the cessationists. And cessationists believe that the supernatural gifts, gifts like tongues, prophecy, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, healing, functioned only in the early church and are not to be practiced today. There's a second camp um, that is the charismatic camp. And it could, they could also be called continuationists. Um, this this group of charismatics is made up of Pentecostals, charismatics, and what is being called a third wave. And so there's different distinctions between each of those groups. But they basically believe this, that the gifts continue and are to mark the life of the church today. The miraculous gifts are for today. Supernatural gifts are given to every generation and should be practiced according to the limits of Scripture. And there's a third camp. And I think the majority of people are in this camp, maybe not in this church, but in this camp as we talk about Christianity as a whole, are in this camp of I don't know. I don't know. I don't have any reason to play for either of those teams. No reason to believe that they exist and no reason to believe that they've ceased. Uh, this, This camp is open, but... Um, I would describe them as being pretty cautious. The open but cautious camp. Just made that up. <laughs> um, the official stance at Radiant Church is charismatic. We reject the idea that the gifts have ceased. And uh, it, it is scary to define yourself as charismatic. Um, And the reason that it's scary to define yourself as charismatic is because that means 10 different things to 10 different people based on the experiences that they've had. Everybody has a different idea of what it means to be charismatic. So it's difficult to say we're charismatic. And it was funny, I know that um, some of you, many of you here today meet in uh, home groups or we call them life groups because we wanted to... Um, growth growth groups (laughs) we call we call them uh, (laughs) we call them um, growth groups to dupe you into believing that they weren't the same home group that you've been to for the last 10 years but they were something fresh so we've got these growth groups and um, I know that in my, in mine, and and I've heard from other people. It was incredible to hear people's experiences. It was incredible to hear about um, people's um, first touch with the gifts of the Spirit. It was incredible to hear people talk about when they first encountered prophecy, or tongues, or healing, and um, it it was both um, exciting and sad. There were these incredible stories of victory and God, you know, intervening and revealing himself. And there were these terrible, terrible stories in our group of people saying things like, I was told that if I didn't speak in tongues, I didn't have the Holy Spirit. Worse than that was someone who told me, I was told I was going to hell if I didn't speak in tongues and that this person would stand next to me until I did. So, what was interesting is what I discovered as we went around in our group is that people didn't have a problem with the gifts. People don't have a problem with the gifts. Most believe that they are for today. Their struggle is with a ministry style, and their struggle is with a presentation of these gifts. They don't have beef with the gifts. They've got beef with a ministry style and the way that these gifts have been presented. Another way to to word it would be this I I don't necessarily think that people had a problem with the knife, they had a problem with the person holding the knife. It wasn't the gifts that bothered them, it was the people using the gifts that bothered them. They weren't struggling with the gifts of the Spirit, they were struggling with the people who were using the gifts of the Spirit. And um, and as we said last week, I think that that really comes down to the, the reality that those that are operating in spiritual gifts don't necessarily have spiritual fruit coming from their lives. And we can never mistake spiritual gifts for spiritual fruit. Someone may be operating in the spiritual gift of prophecy, but they might not be bearing spiritual fruit in love. Someone could be operating in the gift of tongues, but they're not bearing spiritual fruit by being patient, kind. And I'm not even going to, last week I tried to rattle off the fruit of the spirit and I was about too shy. Spiritual gifts are not spiritual fruit. And I said it last week, but speaking in tongues doesn't make you spiritual. Any more than, than having a baseball mitt makes you a Yankee. We want spiritual fruit to come from our lives. The fruit of the Spirit to come from our lives but I do, I do want to say one thing to you guys, as I heard these terrible stories of people getting hit over the head with Bibles and pushed over and screamed at and everything else, as I heard these stories, I want to say to you again this morning, just because something has been abused doesn't mean that you get to chuck it. And this goes for many different areas inside the church. I know authority has been abused in your life. Doesn't mean you get to chuck it. I know that some of you have been hurt by maybe the way that your church did giving. Doesn't mean that you just get to dispose of it. Just because something's been abused in your life doesn't mean you get to get rid of it. Again, the Bible is our standard, not what you've experienced. But the scriptures are for us, our standard here at Radiant Church. And I put it this way. A few few months ago, I I got a fake $100 bill. And I didn't know it was a fake $100 bill, or I didn't know it was counterfeit money, until I went to deposit it. And when I handed it to the person making my deposit, they were like, this $100 bill is not a $100 bill. This is counterfeit money. And we're confiscating it right now. And I said, well, how will I go back to the person and say, you gave me a fake $100 bill? And they were like, well, you don't. And I had no proof. I couldn't walk back to the person who gave me the $100 bill and say, hey, this one isn't good. Could I get another one? Because they took it immediately. They confiscated it. So I got dealt some counterfeit money. but you better believe if I see a hundred dollar bill on the ground I'm still going to pick it up <laughs> because the great risk lies in stepping over it not bending over picking it up and, and experiencing disappointment again I knew it it was a fake hundred dollar bill Just because you've experienced the counterfeit doesn't mean that there's no such thing as the real thing. And again, the great risk lies in stepping over that $100 bill, not in bending over to investigate if it's the real thing or not. We are excited here at Radiant Church about the supernatural. We're excited about God doing signs and wonders And we shared last week that signs are intended to point to something beyond themselves. So signs are intended to point to Jesus. Wonders are intended to make us wonder about Jesus. And when signs and wonders point to someone or some ministry, uh, we're not real excited about that. I know as I've uh, been reading scripture and reading the debate that surrounds gifts of the Spirit, I've got a growing anticipation and a growing hunger that God wants to move this way. There's a confidence in me that's growing as I'm opening the scriptures. And there's a confidence that's growing in our church. There's some real exciting things that are going on. We are excited about the supernatural, but here's the deal about the supernatural here at Radiant. We want God to handle the super part and you to handle the natural. You major on super. Sorry. You major on natural. You let God major on super. We're excited about engaging these things that God's given the church in a natural way. You don't have to have a super low voice. You don't have to get super worked up. You don't have to have super hair or a super suit. You let God do the super and you do the natural. Remember, uh, that Jesus is our model. Jesus is our model for what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Jesus is our model for what it looks like to do ministry by the power of the Spirit. Jesus is our standard, not what we've seen or experienced. If you want to know what it looks like to be empowered and filled with the Holy Spirit, look at Jesus. I would encourage you to dust off the Gospels. Jesus didn't generally hold miracle services. I'm not saying that those are wrong, but what I'm saying is that Jesus didn't necessarily do those things. He healed the people that were brought to him. Sins were uncovered in conversations that he was having with someone. Not from a stage, but in conversations, sins were uncovered. He didn't change his voice. He didn't change his posture as he performed signs and wonders. Dust off the Gospels and look at the way that Jesus ministered. And look at the signs and wonders that he performed, not simply as things that were to validate that he was the Son of God, but as a model for the way that we're to minister. So I want to talk to you, that was um, an intro, uh, I want to talk to you, well I want to tell you two reasons why cessationists believe that miraculous gifts or revelatory gifts have ceased. And then I want to talk to you about two reasons that we believe that they continue and that they're to mark the life of the church today. And the reason that I want to share this with you um, It is not so that you can uh, get in an argument. It's not so that you can be divisive. Um, It's not just to arm you with some sort of knowledge of why people believe what they believe. My desire in sharing this with our church is that a confidence would grow and fear would be dispelled. Because there's a lot of fear that surrounds the gifts of the Spirit. In particular, the miraculous gifts. There's a lot of fear that surrounds it. There's a fear of the unfamiliar. For some of you, the gifts of the Spirit are really unfamiliar. You've never been around a church that engages these things. And it's just scary because it's unfamiliar. And I applaud you. I really, as I was thinking this morning, I I am so encouraged and inspired by those that are here that are allowing themselves to be stretched. That are opening their hands before God and saying, lead me into truth. Really inspired by the stretch that some of you are making to be here with us and to worship with us. I hope that I'll be as willing to question my paradigm. Hope that I'll be as willing to challenge some of my assumptions. Because you guys have been really willing uh, to stretch yourself. There's a fear of emotionalism, there's a fear of fanaticism, Um, there's a fear of rejection when people find out that you speak in tongues. And um, I wrestle with those fears and I know that you wrestle with those fears too and and Radiant Church is 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 a safe place for you to wrestle with that. If you don't speak in tongues, you're welcome here. We don't believe that you don't have the Holy Spirit. And the Bible, as I've been opening it, has given me some understanding that's been dispelling my fears regarding the gifts of the Spirit. So two reasons why cessationists believe the miraculous gifts or the revelatory gifts have ceased. The revelatory gifts or the miraculous gifts in 1 Corinthians 12 Are the message of wisdom, the message of knowledge, gifts of healing, prophecy, and tongues, the interpretation of tongues. Anyway, so when when we talk about the miraculous gifts or the revelatory gifts, we're talking about those gifts. Most cessationists are charismatics. And that they believe that some of the gifts continue today. But it's just the revelatory or miraculous gifts that have ceased. So a couple reasons that they believe this. Was that, is that, uh, maybe you've heard this before, but the signs were just for the apostles. That the miraculous or revelatory gifts were just for the apostles. There is an exclusive link in scripture between apostolic ministry and revelatory gifts the idea is that the that signs and wonders and miracles were meant to validate the messenger and not to validate the message they were meant to validate or authenticate the authority of the apostles So, it makes sense, as Norman Geisler says, that the signs of an apostle passed away with the time of the apostle. So, when, um, I guess it would be John's heart sputtered out, the miraculous gifts ceased because signs and wonders were just the signs of the apostles. So, we should refrain from praying for signs and wonders, because they were the unique sign of an apostle, and they were meant to authenticate the authority of the apostles, who were the once and for all foundation of the church. So these gifts were given primarily and even exclusively to authenticate or to attest to the authority of the apostles. The problem with this argument... I mean, the the biggest one is that we can find nothing in Scripture to support it. And that's, that's the problem with this. The other problem with it is that Scripture tells us that farmers, shopkeepers, housewives, elders, and deacons were performing miracles and operating in miraculous gifts. Apostles were not the only ones performing miraculous gifts. Signs and wonders were for sure one of the ways that you knew you were dealing with an apostle. Signs and wonders were one of the marks of an apostle. But they weren't the only mark. That's like saying, um, that's like saying a, a cyclist has strong calves. When we say that a cyclist has strong calves, do we mean that there isn't anybody else who doesn't have strong calves? A ballet dancer has strong calves. By saying that, we're not implying that there's nobody else that has strong calves. Miracles, signs, and wonders were a mark or a sign of an apostle, but they weren't the only mark, and they weren't the only ones operating in signs and wonders. The other problem with this argument, you'd have to, in, in order for this to be a good reason to believe that the gifts have ceased, you'd have to believe two things. One, that only apostles operated in signs and wonders and miraculous gifts. And two, that the only reason for a sign or a wonder was to attest to or authenticate the authority of an apostle. But the problem with this is that the New Testament tells us that signs and wonders happened for many reasons. Not just to attest to the apostles or authenticate the apostles, signs and wonders happened for evangelism, signs and wonders happened um, uh, so that God would be glorified. Signs and wonders happened, miracles happened, so that God could reveal his compassion towards us. Nowhere in Scripture is the purpose or function of the miraculous reduced to simply validating the ministry of Jesus or the apostles. Signs and wonders in the Scriptures accompanied the message, not just the messengers. In Luke 10, Jesus sends out 70 people to perform miracles, not just the 12. In the books in the book of Acts, Stephen who was a deacon did great signs and wonders in front of the people. The multitudes gave heed to what was said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs which he did. Philip was not an apostle. In Galatians 3, we read that there are miracles going on in the church in Paul's absence. In Corinthians 12, the church is being encouraged to operate in the miraculous gifts. There is no exclusive link between apostles and revelatory gifts. There's no evidence in Scripture that suggests that miraculous gifts were unique to the apostles or unique to the time of the apostles, which is the better argument, which we'll talk about now. The better argument is that there's an exclusive link between the time of the apostles and signs and wonders. So basically, the, the reasoning goes like this. Signs and wonders were operating during the time of the apostles, but now that we have the scripture... We don't need those gifts any longer. It was only until we finalized the New Testament. So the gifts ceased upon the completion of Scripture. We We needed signs and wonders to validate things then. Now we have the Bible to validate things. So the Bible replaced miraculous gifts... And this one, this one is pretty... This is probably the number one reason to be a cessationist is, is to imply that God is still speaking. To imply that He's still working in miraculous ways implies in some ways that the scriptures aren't good enough. How many of you have experienced this? I know when Tiffany and I Uh, left the church that we were a part of for a long time to plant Radiant Church, what we were saying to people was God is calling us to do something new. And what we were hearing from the people that we loved very much was what's wrong with your home? We kept saying God's doing something new, and they they kept feeling like when we said that we were leaving that we were somehow implying that something was wrong with the old. So when we as charismatics say that God is revealing himself, that he is still speaking, there's a natural reaction to that to say, what's wrong with what he already said? We've got everything he said right here. That to somehow say that God still speaks is to question the finality of scripture and is to question the sufficiency of scripture. And it brings up fears. It's really seen as a threat to the Bible. Have you experienced that with people before? When you say, God led me, God spoke to me, I received a prophecy, and it was like, automatically to say that was seen as a threat to Scripture. So we have to answer the question, and John Piper does an amazing job in the article that I gave you last week. I made more copies of the article um, there's another 25 copies of a position paper that John Piper wrote called "Signs and Wonders Then and Now," and we have to answer the question: Are signs and wonders against the Word? Are signs and wonders a threat to the Word of God? Are they against the Word of God? Again, the big problem with this argument is that we don't find uh, it, we don't find Anything that suggests that in Scripture. There's not a syllable in Scripture that would say, indicate, or even imply that the Bible supplants the need for miraculous gifts of the Spirit. I believe that this is a... this. Um, This really is a misunderstanding of how prophecy and tongues work and the place that they're given in the church. It's a a misunderstanding of the nature of these gifts. The gifts of prophecy and tongues are never competitive with Scripture, but they're always conformed to the Scriptures. And I know that you've experienced something other than that but they're never competitive with the truth of scripture. They're always to be conformed to the truth of scripture. They can work in concert together. They can work together. We see this when when um we see this when scripture tells us to go and preach the gospel. But it doesn't tell a 19-year-old who's getting ready to move to go to Albania and not Australia. So scripture gives us this big idea that says, go and preach the gospel. But a prophetic word can come in and say to a young woman, you're to go to Albania and not Australia. Do you understand when I say that these things can work together and not be in competition with one another? The other question that I found myself asking as I was reading this argument was, why would a completed Bible get rid of the need for miraculous gifts? Why would a Bible get rid of our need for these things? Why can't they coexist today? The question I started to ask myself was that if Jesus needed these things to validate his ministry, why don't we need them today to validate ours? Why, if he and the early church needed these things, would we think that a completed Bible moves us to a place where we no longer need these things? If they needed them to attest to the gospel, why, why don't we need these things? If there was ever a dude who didn't need miracles, it was Jesus. If there was ever a guy who didn't need signs and wonders, it was Him. Blameless, perfect, taught. Man, He taught with authority. We're still teaching what He taught. I get paid to plagiarize what He taught. In fact, if I don't plagiarize what Jesus taught, I'll be fired as your pastor. These are some of the greatest sermons He ever preached. And if there was ever a group of people that didn't need signs and wonders, it was the early church. They were eyewitnesses. And once again, I spend my weeks ripping their sermons. These guys could preach. If Jesus and the early church needed miraculous gifts and signs and wonders to attest to the gospel, then we need them today as well. Some believe that the Bible does say this. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 13. Some believe that 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that the gifts have ceased with the completion of Scripture. Uh, Starting in verse 8, 1 Corinthians 13 love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. So the gifts do cease. As charismatics, we are cessationists. We believe that the gifts cease. The argument is over when the gifts cease. So love never ends, but prophecy, they're, they're, they're going to end. Tongues, they'll cease. These three, but the greatest of these is love. So the main point of this passage that Paul sneaks in here is that love is superior to all the gifts. And he's contending in this passage that love is eternal. Love lasts forever. These gifts do not, these gifts cease. The reason that the gifts cease, Paul says, is they're imperfect. The reason that he says that they're uh, imperfect is he says that they're partial. So we, we can ask ourselves when we're reading this passage, how long will the gifts last? How long will they last? They'll last until the perfect comes, says this passage. But when is that? When is the perfect coming? Cessationists would believe that the perfect coming is the completion of Scripture. That prophecies, tongues, knowledge, these things ceased because the perfect has come and we have a completed Bible. Just read it. I mean, just read it. To say that the words face to face imply a completed Bible or the closing of the canon of Scripture? To say that to be, um, to know, what does it say here? Then I shall know fully even as I have been fully known. To say that those terms describe the completion of Scripture is to stretch them way beyond their breaking point. 1 Corinthians 13 teaches that the gifts will continue until Jesus comes. Face to face in Scripture refers to seeing God personally. This passage clearly teaches that the gifts will cease. And it clearly teaches that the gifts will cease when Jesus returns. And we see face to face. And we're known. Another thing that I thought as I read this is, is Paul, Paul's arguing that love is eternal. That love lasts forever. If you're trying to argue that love lasts forever, why would you compare it to something that's only going to last 35 years? When we, com- we want to s- draw a comparison that tells somebody that something's old, we say, that guy is old as dirt. We pick something really old when we want to say that it's going to last forever. So why would Paul, in his argument that love is eternal and that love is going to last forever, then say, love is eternal. It'll last longer than 35 years. That's old. That's as old as a washer and dryer. My guitar is older than 35 years. My car is older than 35 years. I'm almost older than 35 years. Paul's trying to drive home this point that it lasts forever. And then why would he draw a comparison to something that lasts 35 years? Richard Gaffin, who's a leading cessationist, says that the perfection of verse 10 says that to say that the perfection of verse 10 has in view the completion of the New Testament is not credible exegetically. Cessationism will cease in our lifetime. They've turned on each other. That was a prophecy. Yes. (laughs) You know what? I actually think it will have more to do um, with the epicenter of Christianity moving to the southern hemisphere. We'll start to get our commentaries from people who live outside of the Western world. And it'll be the end. It's always the end. It's always the end when the missionary shows up. And he starts telling stories. And it's kind of like, what? Church isn't like that for me at home. What's going on over there? The epicenter of Christianity is moving to the Southern Hemisphere. And when it does, cessationism will cease. John Piper writes in the paper, both these phrases "seeing face-to-face. And John Piper is a Calvinist, by the way, and a Baptist through and through. This is not a Pentecostal. Both these phrases "seeing face-to-face and understanding as we have been understood are stretched beyond their breaking point if we say that they refer to the closing of the New Testament canon or the close of the apostolic age. Mark Driscoll writes in a, in a journal... Up to this point, I had basically been a theological cessationist, a fan of attacks on charismatic Christians. It wasn't until some years later that I came to see that the cessationist interpretation of 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 was the second worst exegesis I've ever read, next to that of a Canadian nudist arsonist cult I once did some research on. There's no reason in the word that signs and wonders can't work together with scripture. I was reading these incredible stories because I I think the gifts are operating in churches that they don't even believe that they're supposed to be operating in. I read this account of uh, Charles uh, Spurgeon, C.H. Spurgeon, again, a good Baptist preacher, and he says that he can, he can remember 12 occasions where while he's preaching, he's preaching on a subject, and he turns to the left and he says, young man, those gloves are not yours. You stole them and you should return them. And then he just keeps on preaching. After the service, a young man, pale and petrified, approaches him and says, I swear it's the first time I stole gloves. He says there were 12 instances while he was preaching that he just knew what someone had done or knew what someone was thinking and called it out right there in the middle of the church service. Two reasons why we believe that the gifts have not ceased. The first is that the Bible gives no evidence that they are not valid. And this is not just an argument from silence because you can't develop a, 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 sta- a theological position based on silence. Do you get this? That's why when people say things like, well, if Jesus didn't care about abortion, why didn't he say something about it? So therefore, Jesus doesn't care about abortion. You can't develop a stance from silence. Just like you can't develop a stance, you can't say things like, well, just because Jesus didn't appoint female apostles, then there aren't females in church leadership. You can't develop a theological position from silence in Scripture. But let me tell you this. To say that the Bible gives no evidence that these gifts are not valid today is not an argument from silence. Because the New Testament is anything but silent about these gifts. The burden of proof is on a cessationist. You should be saying to a cessationist, what in the Bible would make you believe that these gifts have ceased? Not in an antagonistic way, but the burden of proof lies on them. The New Testament is anything but silent about the operation of the gifts in the church. The second reason that we believe that the gifts are alive and kicking today is that the ultimate purpose of each gift is to build up the body of Christ. The ultimate purpose of these gifts is to build up and edify the church. Not to establish your role or your position... or your status as some sort of superhero in the church. These gifts are to build up the church and to serve each other. And nothing that I see in the New Testament... And nothing that I see in the condition of the church today makes me think that we're beyond being built up and edified. We don't need that anymore. We've arrived. We all came to church with Bibles. Seriously, are we beyond this? Are we beyond being built up and edified? Have we progressed beyond our need to be encouraged? Open your Bibles to Ephesians 4. It was He who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. So again, the purpose of these gifts some given to be apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists. is so that the body will be built up. Verse 13, chapter 4. Until the completion of Scripture? No. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure the fullness of Christ... Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their their deceitful scheming. Last time I checked, we we haven't reached this yet. These gifts are given until we reach this, till we reach perfection. I know Radiant might be the closest church to reaching it, but I don't know. I think we're still a long way off, so therefore I think we still need these gifts. We believe that miraculous gifts are for the church today. The practice of the gifts is ordained in the New Testament And is nowhere designated as temporary or restricted to the first century. Ephesians 4, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 1 tell us clearly that the gifts will cease. They will cease when Jesus returns. Now we'll continue to wrestle through how we'll do these things. But what I wanted to get across to you is that these things are for the church today. And that there's, if you believe that the gifts have ceased, you're reading something other than Scripture. If you believe they only happen during a certain period of time, you're reading something other than the Bible. Which is awesome. I think you should read that stuff. And then I think you should subject it to the high court or your supreme court, which is Scripture. So... I don't know about you guys, but as we've been talking about this and even as our, our, as our small group shared, there's been a, a growing excitement about um, the gifts for me. And uh, I think um, God's been dealing with some of my fears, some of my insecurities, you know, because it's one thing to operate in these gifts. It's a whole other thing to lead a group of people operating in these messy gifts because they are messy, But I've come to understand that the greater risk lies in disobedience, not in obedience. And the New Testament clearly teaches that these gifts are alive today and will be alive until Jesus returns. But there's different things going on inside of our church that are really exciting. And I want to take time for the next couple weeks and have people share something that's up for them, something that they've experienced. And... um, And so Danny came to me a few, a few, uh, well, maybe it's about a month ago, and shared with me something that was going on for him, something that he had experienced, and I want to, I want him to share his experience.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm loud. Did you? Did you... Okay. <laughs> uh, I don't know where to stand. You took this away from me. Can I, can you? All right. I'll just, I like this thing here. Makes me feel comfortable. Uh, I just want to tell you, uh, quick about how I became a Christian. Um, I didn't know, uh, Jesus at all. Uh, I've heard from my grandmother. I think she was the one that, that really, uh, was consistent. Um, yeah, thank God for praying grandmothers. They're they're good. Um, and I, I just didn't know about them and um through high school I partied a lot. I was the party guy and I was good at it. I'm not bragging, but it was fun. And uh I um it wasn't until my life was spinning out of control and um there were some conflicts uh with within me. There were um Things that I have uh, done or things that I did that I really regret and I made mistakes. And uh, there was a conflict from what I believe is good and from what I was acting out. And it was frightening to me. It was uh, frightening to know that um, either something internally or externally was controlling my life and it wasn't me. I uh, had no clue that I was a slave to sin. I didn't know this. It was scaring me. I had anxiety. And it wasn't until I reached rock bottom that I prayed to God that I just i am done trying uh, to live on my own. So he, uh, he used a couple of special people in my life to bring me to God, and that's a quick version of my conversion. If you want to know more, I could talk to you later. Uh, but um, the main part of this, uh, for me, that, that I guess Travis wants me to share, is that um, at the turn of this new year, I, uh, I had been hanging out with some awesome people from foundation school, people like Glenn and Josh and Sonnet. And uh, if I don't mention your name, don't get your feelings hurt, but, uh, those people. And, um, we had been watching, um, some podcast of a really powerful, uh, preaching down in the South, uh, Kansas city. It's IHOP. If you haven't heard of it, that's okay. But, um, uh, the preacher was putting on my heart to really connect with God in in a way like a relationship way, and in, in Scripture, it's it's we focus on the bridegroom side of Jesus, and and um and that's kind of what was on our heart. So we fasted uh, the day after um, New Year's for twenty four hours, and I think we like worshipped for five hours. I want to say four or five hours later on that night and nothing is nothing really happened to me in the um the session i i mean i think i felt the spirit you know we, we sat there for 5 hours praying so you want to justify what you did by saying yeah i felt the spirit um, but i uh i think i did but the next the next night uh january 2nd i have it written down i have the date it's a real thing and and just before i share this i i, I don't want I, uh, I don't have any reason to look cool in front of people. And when I hear testimonies, I say to myself, what? I, I don't believe it. And um, they have some alternative motive for telling me the story. There's something that they're trying to do. They're trying to sell me something. I don't have a member's jacket to give you. I'm not trying to sell you anything. I don't, I don't have a reason to look cool. I w- I'm just being honest. And um, so January 2nd, I make a prayer list, and I, um, on the fourth thing down, I, I write down, uh, God, show me your love. I want to know this, because I remember Travis speaking on love, and, and plus we want to get to know Jesus intimately. That's, that's what we fasted for. Um, so I as I was praying, I was going to dedicate a whole hour in prayer, and um, I reached the fourth uh, thing on the list, show me your love. And I really pressed into that, and I prayed and uh finally, like after fifteen minutes, God broke through, and uh he it was real he he like flooded my heart with love, and it was it was amazing and uh I started to cry pretty hard <laughs> i don't I don't know why, but it was i w- I was crying hard, I had a vision of jesus uh not as like a like an Asian uh, karate teacher, very wise, but very blank, you know, like, you do this. Like, that's how my vision of Jesus was. But I actually saw him as a, a person that cries uh, with you. And he's very emotional. And uh, it was beautiful. And um, I started crying. My body was tingling a little bit. I didn't know what was going on. It was very strange. And I, uh, I started getting revelations. Uh, and these, to me, are things that, that when you read something, like in 1 John four nineteen, 19, uh, we love him because he first loved us. We read that, and we're like, yeah, that makes sense. A plus B equals C. And it's like, okay, I get that. But, but when you get a revelation, you fe- it's like you feel it. You know it to be true. And it made total sense that uh, the universe was created out of love, and the only reason we love is because he gives it to us. And when we choose things that aren't his love, we choose something else. And it's, it's kind of scary, but um, there's a lot of, there was a lot of victory in it too. I remember as I was crying really hard, it just turned to laughter because it was, it was powerful. I was laughing hysterically, and it would have it creeped somebody out if they had walked in. I, uh, I was tearing up a lot. And um, and that's kind of changed my vision on Jesus. He wasn't this wise, blank-faced teacher that, that can lead you to salvation. He was an actual man that would sit with you and, and cry, even though uh, things are going to be—he knows things are going to be fine for you. It's—that's uh, love. And, um, and it's, it, it, it's, it's true. Love is uh, more powerful than the gifts of tongues and it's, it's, uh, it's quite amazing. So I would just encourage you to also hunger for that and thirst for that. Uh, I could tell you more about the experience, but I don't want to take up too much time. So thank you for your time. Thank you. Go. I, thought we
0: could, I thought we could close our time together by worshiping together. And um, asking God to move in our lives in a fresh way. And um, asking Him to deal with our fears uh, of losing control. Uh, Danny, Danny explained the story to me. And when he did, he said, my, my dad was just a few rooms over. And I, w- I had this thought, this conscious thought in the back of my mind. That if my dad walks in while I'm cry laughing with snot all over my guitar, he's going to think I've lost it, you know. And... Um, there is a deep fear sometimes to lose control. And so I just want you to open up as we, as we worship together. Um, fix your eyes on Jesus. Again, he's our model. Um, the point of Danny's story is not that you should get baptized in the spirit or that you should speak in tongues or that you should anything. The point is that there's more. Yeah. And you'd be crazy not to contend for it. You can call the more whatever you want. I don't care here. You, but there's more. I think people get wrapped up in semantics when the truth is that there's more, there's more for you. So we'll worship one song together. After that, you're free to pick up your kids or you're free to stay and linger unless you have kids and then you're having to go pick up your kids. <laughs> don't, <laughs> linger, don't linger till 1245 if you've got kids. Send, uh, send one, one parent to go pick them up. Let me pray and we'll launch into worship. Jesus, thank you for giving gifts. I pray that you'd help our church to understand these gifts. We want to receive what you've given to us, Lord. We've not progressed beyond our need for these gifts, and we're excited about you moving in our church. We're excited about you revealing your heart to us. And so we ask that you would use many things to do this. Yeah. We love you, and we, we don't want to just talk about you. We want to experience you. We love you, and we don't just want to talk about you. We want to know you intimately. We thank you for what happened in Danny's life, that you revealed how much you love him. I pray that you would reveal to every heart here your great love for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We want to be a resource for you as you walk with Jesus. So please connect with us at radiantbicelia.com Until next time. There is a heavenly city
1: That I'm compelled to find Though I love the flowers and trees And the smell of the grinding sea. And all the beautiful things here in life. Am I?